Good morning. My name is Brian, and I'm going to read the scripture for today. Uh, We'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 27 to 31. Uh, It's page 14 in your journals if you'd like to follow along. Um, It's also going to be projected, or it's available in the U version, as Meredith mentioned. Isaiah 1, verse 27 through 31. Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tinder, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Thanks, Brian. This morning we're uh, continuing our series called Uncommon Cause, and uh, the message is entitled this morning, Repentance, Repentance, and uh, this wraps up uh, our overview of chapter one of Isaiah. We're super excited about continuing in Isaiah throughout the summer, and so we hope you choose to be with us. Um, As I was thinking this morning uh, about different ways to convey what kind of taking place in the text, uh, I was reminded of one of uh, several times that I've been to the ocean. Most trips to the ocean are memorable for something I'd love to forget. You know, like it just seems like it always turns out that way, whether I'm being caught by an undertow um, or, you know, being chased by a shark or no, just kidding. That part's a lie. Just thought I'd make it a little bit more exciting for a second. Um, But uh, one of my first times in the ocean, in fact, it may have been my first time in the ocean. I don't really recall. Um, I was was young. I I can't remember my exact age, but we we stopped all excited about going into the ocean. My father uh, grew up in Miami, and so he was in the ocean often. And so he had a a list of uh, very reasonable concerns, uh, especially to someone that had never been in the ocean before. And so he went over them with me and my sisters. And um, one of the instructions that he gave was to to make sure that when we went out into the ocean that we kept our eye on something on the shore and that periodically we would just check in to make sure that we weren't kind of drifting along because the the current, the ocean, would kind of move you along. And so I thought, okay, no problem. It was almost one of those things that when you hear, if you have no exposure to the ocean, you're like, I got it. Don't get lost in the ocean. Okay, Dad. (laughs) Uh, It's real easy. You just turn around and there you are, is kind of my perception because of what I'd only ever been in was like a lake or a river or something where it's like the river's obviously got a current or a lake is completely just kind of there. You're not going anywhere. So we're out in the ocean, we're playing, we're jumping around in the waves, and every once in a while we would look up and check with our parents and, um, you know, they'd wave and continue to play. And uh, then all of a sudden it, it kind of happened where there's like this in-between ground where you're like, far enough out to where you're not really playing in the waves, but you're also not where you're not supposed to be. You're in this middle ground where you're kind of floating. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of sit here and relax. And so I start floating on my back and I look up and I'm like, this is amazing. It's so relaxing. It's so peaceful. Waves crashing to my right. And, uh, kind of got distracted in the moment, just floating along in the ocean. And all of a sudden it kind of happens really quickly where I look up And I have no idea where I am. 
um, I am so far down the beach that I can't even find where my parents are. You look up and what looked like the same houses because along the ocean, it's like they all seem the same. Now you're looking, you're like, no, that was the building we were at. Is it? And like, oh my gosh, did I just get lost in the ocean? Did what I thought never happened actually just now happen? And so I start to kind of panic and I'm looking around and I walk up to the shore and you're kind of getting beaten by the waves as you come up and you run to the shore and I'm, I'm looking around trying to play it cool and I'm thinking, I have no idea where I am. I don't know where my family is or anything. And all of a sudden I hear someone yelling way down and I look and my dad's like, you know, this big. And I'm like, holy cow, I came so far. I drifted so far. It seemed like I just looked away for a second and I was just taken away by the moment. And so the question I want us to to kind of think about as we move through the message this morning is why do things always drift away from what they were intended to be? I never intended to, to drift. I never had the mindset of drifting. I intended to remain exactly where I was. And yet oftentimes, what it is that we intend seems to drift. It seems to drift into something we never intended it to be. I want to submit to you that things drift because there's no such thing as living a static life. Not too profound, right? I mean, we love the idea of static living. I mean, let me explain. As humans, whether we're Christian or not, we love this idea. In fact, we crave the idea of completion. Even if you're not like a task-oriented person, uh, there's still some sense of like, oh, I finished it. Like, it's done. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Resolution, right? Uh, Eric talked about this a little bit last week where it's like, hey, the house is clean. And then the kids are like, and you're like, and we're done. You know? the, the house is now a mess again. This idea that, that we want things to just be done once and for all, but they never seem to be. We want to solve a problem, be done with it, and move on. That's not the reality, is it? Like it or not, there's always movement in our lives. There's always movement. Other forces pushing on us. And so we have a choice to make. We can be influenced or we can be influencers. That sounds inspiring, right? Be an influencer. Don't be influenced. Like a a pep talk of sorts. You can change your world, I promise. Decide that the ocean can't move you anymore. (laughs) That's not really uh, that inspiring in the sense that it's not really that possible to stop the drift. It's really about a commitment to remain focused on the things that will keep you where you're supposed to be, going against the current, if you will. It's constant. The work is constant and even crushing at times. It's way easier to drift. Our best efforts are often too little too late. I remember when I was in high school, might have been middle school, I had a a friend that was just kind of blowing off school and uh, it seemed like every day he didn't have his work done and um, he didn't seem concerned about it at all. Uh, It's kind of that in-between grades where it's like you're out of elementary school but you don't fully understand that what it is that you're doing right now may actually impact your ability or capacity to go to college someday. And he's like, "Ah, I think I'm fine. I think I'm fine. He's like, I'll work it out at the end of the year. Work it out at the end of the year. I don't even know what that means. He can like pay the teacher. I don't get it. And uh, I remember the moment when we were kind of reviewing the grades and uh, they're kind of talking about what it is. I was in the Regents program. If you're from New York, you understand what that means. And so 
what, what do I need on the regents diploma uh, on my regents in order to get a certain grade? Or in his case, he was asking, what do I need in order to pass? And she said, well, actually, uh, you can't take the regents. And he's like, what do you mean? She goes, well, you're not going to pass the course. And he's like, well, what, what do I need? I mean, there's a test left. What do I need to get on the test in order to get high enough to be able to take the regents? I remember the conversation like it was yesterday because the teacher had actually proactively considered that he would ask that question. And so she said, actually, I did the math last night. You need 210. <laughs> He's like, what? She's like, yeah, 210. He's like, is there extra credit? <laughs> yeah, extra credit. This is worth 100 points. You know, like, it's just like, it's not going to happen. He drifted. Too little, too late. I care right now. Quick, can I just fix everything? I can't possibly be lost, right? Is it possible that I took my eyes off of the thing that oriented me long enough to where now I have drifted so far that I'm literally lost? Literally lost. We drift for too long. We can connect this with relational uh, reality whether it's with a friend or a spouse, if the relationship isn't monitored, it drifts. And now it seems like it's too little, too late. We've come too far. It's too much of a mess. What's been done can't be undone. What's been said can't be unsaid. We allowed it to drift. The relationship is damaged. It sounds like we're just victims of our circumstances, Right? We love that idea. I mean, if you are human, you love the idea of being able to say, listen, and I've heard it so many times, no one's to blame. We just drifted apart. What a cop-out, right? What an absolute lie. It's a lie because the way we live our lives is a choice. We choose. We're not some random victims of, of a current that's just pushing us like, help, I'm trying to swim, but I just ended up far away. No, I chose to disobey my father, to take my eyes off the things that he said mattered and to just coast. And in the end, I was lost. Thankfully, he didn't take his eyes off me. Hmm. So many connections there, right? If we're victims of something, we're victims of our own choices. We have to keep our eyes fixed on what matters. Whether it's in relationships or most importantly, in our relationship with God. The truth is, something took priority over that relationship. That's how drifting happens. When we are willingly distracted by our own comfort, by our own desires, by something else. And this is exactly where the nation of Judah is in the text this morning. This is exactly where they're at. Verse 28 says this, But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. So we have different people being referred to, people groups, if you will. We're talking about rebels, sinners, and those who forsake the Lord, the people group. They're identified in the following verses as those that have begun to worship other things. 
things other than God. So what we learn from this statement is when we start worshiping other things, that is sin. That is rebellion. That is forsaking God. To elevate the created over the creator. There's an important revelation happening here. It's kind of subtle if you don't connect the dots. It means this. It means that it's impossible to stop worshiping God and to turn to nothing else. It's an interesting concept, right? Because in our desire to live static, in our desire to be like, you know, well, I'm just going to stay right here for a second and then I'll just come back and pick it up where I left it. We think that we can do the same things in our relationship with the Lord and to say, you know what? I'm going to stop worshiping the Lord, but I won't have anything else that takes its place. Like I I won't have anything take the Lord's place. It's not possible. It's not possible to not worship something. Listen, there's no such thing as static living. Something will always win your affection. Something will always win your affection. It's never if you will worship. It's what or who will you worship. What will win your affections? Who will lead you? You see, because the affections of your heart is where you direct your life. And so who will lead you? What will lead you? Will you choose to be swept away by the current of this world? Or will you be compelled by an uncommon cause? By something greater than what the rest of the world is wrapped into? What it is that draws the affections of their heart and their mind? You see, verse 29 says, For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. You see, verses 29 and 30 are are talking about and making reference to idol worship. The idea that they literally worshipped fertility gods. That they worshipped trees. If you can imagine that. Be ashamed. Be ashamed in the Hebrew means that they put their trust in something or someone and that trust is betrayed. So literally, they're disgraced and ashamed by trusting the wrong thing. By trusting the wrong thing. Have you ever put your trust in someone or something only to see that they let you down? Only in your moment of greatest need to have them be absent. That's what this verse is talking about saying, listen, you've chosen to worship the created and the created will never fulfill the cries and the desires of your heart. In your greatest moment of need, you'll be ashamed, disgraced. You've trusted in the wrong thing. Here's the deal. God chose Judah. He chose Judah. And Judah chose to worship a tree. It sounds ridiculous. It's a microcosm of something far larger. It wasn't just that they were worshiping a tree. It was that they were worshiping idols, other gods, lesser things, created things. It sounds disgraceful and absurd. When given a choice, how could one choose to worship an inanimate object? Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? (laughs) 
How could anyone have an inanimate object win their affection? Certainly no one in this room. I mean, that would be ridiculous. That, that would be like God choosing you, like God choosing me, and us deciding to choose food to win our affection. Or a job to be the focus of our heart and life. To choose something as inanimate as technology. Our phone, for example. I mean, we would never prioritize time on social media over time with God. That would be ridiculous. That would be like worshiping a tree. I mean, we would never do that. <laughs> you know. We are a hot mess. Because we worship our car, we worship our house, we worship money, we put, turn our affections toward the idolatry of the temple we call a mall. And we go and we lay down our tithe and we worship at its feet. And we declare ourselves better. It is absurd. And yet, these articles of affection win our hearts, inanimate objects that we worship on a daily basis. Listen, we are Judah. We're Judah. We can sit here and say, oh my gosh, what a jacked up nation. What was their problem? Trees, are you kidding? Oh my gosh, hold on a second. I got a text message. We're there. We can try and lie and say, we just drifted. I mean, I remember when when we realized how, how close I was to the Lord, this idea that he would forgive my sins, that, that some, someone had paid the penalty. And maybe you're here this morning in the awakening moments of the early part of that journey. And I want to tell you the idea and the concept of drift is an excuse that we make in order to worship lesser things. The reality is we make a choice every day to either start a relationship with God or maintain that relationship with God or not to. It's a decision every day when our feet hit the ground. Who will get my worship today? Who will get the affection of my heart? Who or what will win me over today? Am I declaring at the beginning of every day, Lord, I'm going to live for you. Will you lead me? Will you guide me? Or will I fall into the trappings of a drift until it gets to a place where we say, how in the world did I get here? I, I don't even know where I am. I just took my eyes off of the house for a second. I took my eyes off of my father for a second and now I'm not sure where he is. Here's the thing that is kind of heartbreaking about the text it says, for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired. We desire them. And you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. A choice. You've chosen them. So what did their choice get them? It's a cheery story. Verses 30 through 31. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark, and the both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. <laughs> it's simple and yet profound. Created things are not the source of life. 
Created things are not a source of life. So why do we turn to them for life? They can't provide. Like Judah, we turn to these inanimate objects, trying to find comfort and joy, peace and solace, all the things that can only be found in our Savior. And yet, continually, we turn again and again to inanimate objects in hopes that they will somehow fulfill the void in our hearts and minds, a longing for a sense of belonging and purpose. That's a powerful imagery that Isaiah writes here, like a garden without water. (laughs) Beauty for a day, maybe a couple days. A garden without water withers quickly. It quickly fades. And ultimately, a garden without water dies. We have a choice. We have a choice to to choose the one who made the garden. And there are streams of living water that flow from the creator. You see, John 7, 37 through 38 says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up. And cried out, this is the words of Jesus, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is referencing Isaiah 55.1. And he's declaring that he is the source of life. That he's the source of life. That as we turn to other things, they'll ultimately lead to nothing. You see, there's two sides to restoration. There's the Lord's work, and then there's humanity's response. We do not drift into right standing with God. No more than we drift into healthy relationships. If I were to say, listen, the the answer to a great marriage is to just uh, show up once a week at your spouse's house. Maybe make a, a phone call every night and say, hey, I love you, good night. Uh, thanks for making dinner. Let's uh, give an example there in case you haven't followed along. It would be the equivalent of saying, I have a relationship with God. I show up once a week at church, and before I go to bed, I say, Lord, please don't let me die. And before I eat, I say, God bless his food to my body. Like, that's not a healthy marriage, and that's not a healthy relationship with God. It has to run so much deeper when there's work in a relationship. It's a commitment to doing life together. And yet, for some reason, we try to make a delineation when it comes to our relationship with God, that we can just check in and somehow drift into a right relationship. It's not possible. And so you might have caught this morning that I skipped over the first verse, um, and I want to conclude with that verse this morning, verse 27. It says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent. By righteousness. Redeemed. This Hebrew word redeemed uh, means to pay the ransom price. Isn't that interesting? To pay the ransom price by what? By justice. And what is justice? Justice is a debt that needs to be paid in a courtroom. Jesus paid our debt. He paid the ransom that we owe. You see, we're incapable of coming into right relationship with God because of the sin of our life. But Jesus paid that debt. And then 
in not only does he take our place in dying for our sins, but then he then turns around and gives us the inheritance deserved him. and allows us to walk in the freedom and the fullness of life because he is the source of life. So Jesus paid our debt, and what's our response? It says, and those in her who repent by righteousness. Our response must be to repent. It has to be to repent. To repent means literally to turn away from that which has won the affections of your heart and to choose to worship the creator. We've perverted repentance in Christendom. Christendom as a whole, we've perverted it into apologizing. We've turned repentance into saying, I'm sorry. Hey, God, totally sorry there. Drop the ball. Woo! <laughs> that was a close one. So we good now? But if we are literally worshiping other things, to repent means to identify the root of that issue and to say, I can only find that answer in you, Lord. And so, am I, am I eating for comfort? Am I disengaging for comfort? God, why is it that I look for the comfort only available in you in inanimate objects? Father, would you forgive me for my pursuit of comfort in anything opposed from you and help me to rest in the comfort that's available because of who you are and what you've done for me? That's repentance. That's turning away from the root cause of an outward issue and allowing your heart to move back towards God. Not a simple apology, but a deep acknowledgement of what has won our affections and a reorienting of our heart and mind towards the creator. So what will you choose? Will you choose to worship the creator this morning? Will you remain in the cycle that we find Judah in all through chapter one? This desire to be religious and yet all the time being apart from God. As we say often when we're here at Centerways, the text requires something from us. And so I want to challenge you to consider what it requires for you this morning. What does it look like to repent for you? Maybe you've lived a life of apology. If I'm honest, uh, I repented probably for the first time in my life as a freshman in college preparing to be a minister. I realized that all throughout my life up until that point, I was living this self-righteous, negotiating trying to stay out of hell, religious life while in pursuit of a calling. God, I want to serve you. And it wasn't until I was in Bible college where the light went on and said, wait, I've just been apologizing to God where I stepped out of line trying to modify my own behavior, but all the while I haven't addressed the root issues. I've never really truly repented. And so I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you have a rhythm of repentance in your life, if you understand the depth of what it means to acknowledge what has actually won the affections of your heart. You see, because I think that's a trapping of the enemy. 
to just allow us to drift through life and say, well, I'm a good person and I'm doing good things and I, and I go to church and I'm better than all of the wretched people around me. But at the core of who I am, I still worship created things. So the question I want you to consider as we conclude this morning, we're going to go into a time of response that I'll share in a moment, but I want it to be rather contemplative. I want us to be able to reflect this morning on this question, what do I need to repent of today? What do I need to repent of today? It's something that shouldn't only happen on Sunday mornings in gatherings like this, but it should be something that we process on a daily level. What is it that has won my affections? What is it that I am in the midst of leaning into? Where have I taken my eyes off of my father and reoriented them somewhere else? Because the drift happens quickly. The great news this morning is that you can never drift so far that your father doesn't know where you are. And so the Lord knows where you are. And he's brought you to this place today. And I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. Maybe for some of you this morning, it starts by saying, I'm going to surrender my life to the Lord for the first time. I'm going to acknowledge the price that he paid. And I'm going to begin to reorient my life to have him be the focus of my life. For others of you this morning, if you've already asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, I want you to consider what it looks like to keep from drifting. What does it look like this morning for you to consider the areas of your life that you've declared a victim of your, of your circumstances? Well, I mean, it's not my fault. It's just, it's a drift. Will you wrestle with that this morning? It's messy. It's hard. It's why we avoid it. But it's where freedom in life is found. It's where the Lord can truly set us free. And so we want to provide space for that. For others of you this morning that say that's a regular rhythm of my life, I I continually consider what it is that I need to repent from and I I address the root issues of my life and all of those things. Then I, I want to ask you to consider this morning, what do you need to take action on? It's one thing to be in right standing with the Lord and have a rhythm of repentance in your life. It's another thing to say, and now it informs the way I interact with the world around me. You see, because living waters should flow from us. This isn't something where it's like, God changes my life, and now I get it, so I'm good. I'm way better than I ever realized. (laughs) Should be rivers of flowing water life coming out of us, that we would be sources of hope and sources of joy, that we would be people of of peace, that we would inform every sphere that we walk into, that we would be influencers in every sphere of life, gospel-centered influencers in every sphere of life. It's the mission of Centerway. So this morning, we're going to go into a time of communion to reorient our hearts and minds. To allow us to to have a moment where we can remember that which Christ has done and allow that to, quite honestly, wreck us a little bit. Say, okay, 
what is it that it's won my affection? Is it, is it Netflix? Do we worship at the altar of our television or smartphone or whatever it is? What, what is the thing that, that wins our time, that wins our affection? Can we repent of it this morning? We want to provide space and margin to reflect on that. Because I think it's too easy to say, oh, that's true. I really need to think about that. Yeah, that's a good one. I got to think about it. See you next week. We leave and get about the busyness of our life. And instead, we're going to pause. We're going to take time. And if you want, you can journal in the scripture portions that you have in your you version, or maybe just sit and reflect. Either way, I want to challenge you to bow your heads, if you will. The worship team will make their way forward, and as they do, I want to just provide one more time an opportunity for you to consider what application looks like. Would you ask the Lord to search your heart? you get to the place maybe this morning where you'll consider the possibility that maybe you've put other things before the Lord. The worship team is going to begin to to play a song that's new to Center Way. And I want to challenge you to reflect on the, the words as they play it. I also want to challenge you to not sing along because I think in singing along we disengage from the reflection and the contemplative time that I think the Lord wants us to have. And so I'm going to pray a prayer and then I'm going to release you um, to go row by row from the front to the back. You can make it out to your right and go past the communion table. And if you choose to participate in communion, you can take the emblems this morning and uh, find your seat back and we'll partake together. And if you choose not to take communion, that's completely your right. You can simply walk past the table as you get up to it. No one will judge you for that. Um, We're going to wait until everyone has passed by the table. We're going to wait until we've had some time to reflect on maybe some things that we need to repent of some things that we need to ask the why question. You know, that's how you get to the root of the issues in your life is you ask why. Why am I lying? Well, I'm lying because I want other people to accept me. Why do I want other people to accept me? Because I want to belong. Why do I want to belong? Because I feel alone. Why is God loving me not enough to fulfill my aloneness. Lord, would you forgive me for pursuing a sense of belonging in this world? Would you help me to understand and know how loved I am? How you see me? So it could affect every area of my life. See, that's the journey of repentance. It's, it's a rhythm of learning to speak the truth of the gospel to yourself by asking the why questions till you get to the root issue and reveal, oh my goodness, I've come to the end and 
And the reality is I'm searching for something that can only be found in God. Lord, would you forgive me and fill that area of my life so I can walk in the fullness of it? I'm going to pray a prayer and we're going to go ahead and take the emblems and I'll direct us when it's time to partake together. Heavenly Father, come before you this morning and we lay our lives before you. We take responsibility for the drift. We acknowledge, God, that, that it's a choice to take our eyes off of you, that it's a decision that we make to turn our eyes and our affections towards lesser things. And Father, we pray this morning that you would begin to unearth the roots of the lies that we believe that cause us to pursue the created over the creator. And Lord, we would allow the truth of who you are and that which you have done to saturate our very being, that you would transform our hearts, that you would transform our minds, that we would be extensions of your love and your grace and your mercy to the world around us, to our children, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our teachers, wherever we find ourselves, Lord. That we would be people of hope because of our willingness to repent, because of our pursuit of an uncommon cause because of our pursuit of the truth of the gospel and who you are above all else. And so we center our hearts this morning on that which you have done and who you are. Search our hearts, Lord.